cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the door. It's hopeless slow, with Aaron and Rogue it woe. It's a hopeless slow, with Aaron and Rogue it woe. Because with that, here is another episode, a very important episode in the in the Jewish uh, way of life, episode 18, which is Eight. high in Judaism, which stands for good luck, good fortune. So that's why in, in gifts, we always give by multiples of 18. So like if you like the person a lot, you might give 180 bucks. If you don't like them that much, you give like a dollar 80 cents. Oh, I always thought because you guys were Peyton Manning fans on his, and you were 18 that, you know, he's very important to, uh, to the Judaism. Jewish culture. <laughs> and if his name was Peyton, Peyton, wait, what's it? Peyton, Peyton Manningowitz. <laughs> <laughs> then he'd be, yeah, he's, uh, he's not chosen. Yeah. Peyton Stein, uh, which I also think, yeah. by the way, I just said chosen. I actually think that whole thing where people say, oh, Jews, the chosen people is dumb. None of us are any better than anyone else. Because the only two people who are better than everyone else are the people listening to episode 18. Yes. Because you are better than everyone else. (laughs) Especially us. Yeah, especially us. Uh, So let's start with news from the quarantine. News from the quarantine. Yes. So I think we both have a quick thing, which will lead into our uh, special guest today, Lucas Miles, a preacher, a TV personality, a conservative pundit. And the conversation you're going to hear today is, I believe, going to astound you. Um, so before we get into that, I want to talk a little about free speech and something that happened to me. I know you have slang as well. Uh, so in my condo building, I have a balcony and right in the middle of Los Angeles. And I'm not going to say exactly what, what the sign says, but in the building, people over time have put over, put on the railings, let's say the rainbow flag for gay pride, Christmas lights for Christmas, uh, laundry because they're lazy, you you name it, different things from more more speech about society to non-speech about just messiness. People have put up. Recently, I put up on on the balcony on the front railing a a sign about political change. Nothing controversial, nothing that would open eyes. And I got a note from the board at my condo building saying. Based on rule 64257.a-2.63, written in 1974, you are not allowed to put a sign like about speech or about up on your balcony. This made me mad. Uh, it, It... Felt like one, a double standard. Two, it's nineteen, not nineteen seventy four. Three, we're going through a social change. It's not like I put up something like 
like fuck the police. <laughs> mm-hmm. What 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 did it have any foul language or nothing? Huh. Just about change. Hmm. And so I haven't taken it down. I think this is going to lead to more war, if you will. Like, for example, just so if someone put up, let's say, a MAGA banner on their balcony, it's not necessarily what I agree with, but I wouldn't be mad at them. They're allowed to do that. It's, It's their place and they're allowed to express their views. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, so I, I'm actually curious what you think, because it really when it goes against the core of who I am, and I think some of the core of who you are. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you know it, it's it's and I've said it before. We've both said it. It's free speech is the cornerstone of human decency and human rights. And so as soon as you take away free speech, you pave the first brick on the road to tyranny. And Mm -hmm. there's no country in the world that restricts speech that people are happy to live in, in the way that, you know, I fear it, you know, that I fear it could go. I mean, if you are just expressing something about change and you're not being like vile or crude or using derogatory terms, then that is literally that is okay. I mean, one extreme example and something I think that's that's kind of related is that in people right now in Venezuela, if you tweet about the any of the people that our uh, you know that that the government that that are in uh, if whether it's government officials or celebrities or high important people that have coronavirus and, and they do, if you tweet about details of the coronavirus that go against the insane things that the government has been telling you, like you can ride a bicycle to avoid the coronavirus, if you go against the government narrative, they will throw you into a sort of prison, which is pretty much run down hotels under military security, take away your internet, and make sure that you cannot say anything further. That is what happens when government tries to control speech. And it's really upsetting because you know what? Every, any common, per, common sense person wants to say the, you know, listen, it's okay to talk about coronavirus. You got to talk about wearing masks. You got to talk about how to, to handle it. And you want to provide proper information. And when your government stops you from doing that, that is terrible. And I think people don't often associate it with thinking that their speech is okay. So they're not worried. Let's take it away from other people. So I, 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 I feel for you, man. I think that it is tyranny on behalf of your, uh, I guess, HOA in your apartment. Yeah. And, um, and I think you're, the best sort of next steps is keep it up. And if they do sort of give bigger sort of problems with it and they continue uh, in this quest to silence you, the best thing you can do is start screaming. Am I being detained? Am I being detained? <laughs> I, cause that's sort of uh because we're going to be talking a bit about speech and throughout this episode, I believe yes. and things that are people who are trying to be, who are being silenced. And the, the last thing that I want, I would love to do the screaming thing, which I might do. Um, and I also would, I'm more adamant about, not listening to some HOA and stupid rules from 50 years ago uh, because of what's going on right now. So my next thing, and I think we'll we'll keep a running tab of what happens with this because I don't think it's going to stop, is if they say another thing, 
I'm going to put a sign next to that sign saying, my building is trying to silence me and I won't shut up. Yeah. You know, there's also another option is what? malicious compliance. So you take the rules, okay, and you follow them, but you stretch them and stay within the rules, but you stretch them so hard to the point where it drives them crazy. So if they say that, you you know, like I, it's, it's just like bend the rules as hard as you can without breaking them and then create an even bigger problem. Um, and that malicious compliance will then get them to then either change their rules or and it, at the very least cause them headaches, which is completely okay. So could I ask you, um, as we move before we move on to topic one, can I just ask you what an idea? I mean, you know my place. So what's an idea? Well, what's the exact rule? Do you have it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. It's something about it's something about signs on your uh, hanging over your balcony, which for some which never has come into play before. Is your so, is, does your balcony have uh, is can you see through balconies? A glass? I can't remember. Or is it like bars? yeah? There's glass. Okay. There's glass. So it can't hang over your balcony. Okay. So what you could do right. is take span the entire width of your balcony and get a lighted up sign. And <laughs> have it on at all hours, have the colors change and have like a whole sort of blinking kind of like Christmas light style message that has your same message, but it's not hanging over. So this is malicious compliance. You're saying I'm not hang It's not hanging over my balcony. So this is my right to then place it. So make it even more obnoxious. Um, yes. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. So. Do the worst thing like, you can within the rules. That's, uh, that might be the way to go. Yeah. Is mm -hmm. first wait for them to say something again. Then when they do, then what is it? When, when they, when they go low, we go more insane. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you're still technically following the rules. Right. Malicious compliance is the way. And and the reason we, we both Roe and I fight for free speech and promote it on this show is the exact reason why the, our guest, Lucas Miles, is on the show today. Because, and he's actually going to be, it's going to be two segments, I believe. So he'll, we hope, be on next week too. Because his speech and the things that he's going to say are going to cause some conflict. They're also about allowing free speech so that everyone can have their voice. And we don't want just one voice on this show. We don't want just two voices on this show. We don't want just three voices on this show. We want every voice on this show. Not that we are promoting the rhetoric, but because we are allowing you to hear the rhetoric. It is important to hear. You don't have to listen, but if you, as long as you hear, you can then you know, choose. So that's great. That's great. I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Um, Me too. And speaking of having to say, you have something to say. Yeah. And I think let's transition to, uh, to this topic. It's a topic of civility. And I think it's a wonderful sort of um, transition from the topic of free speech, because while you should have the freedom to say whatever you want, you also have a responsibility as a member of society to have civility and to have respect, right? And it's and to have a, a, a to treat people 
with the same decency that you expect them to treat you with. And that doesn't mean you should not say things. It means there's a certain way to say things. But I think right now, the people that are supposed to set the the example for how to grow and how to act as adults are literally the worst example of civility and the worst example of people that can be followed. And these are our elected officials. Um, and I have three mm. quick examples. I'm going to give them to you like quick bullets and we can sort of talk about it. And this is, this is, I guess, where my hopelessness comes from. The first one is with Liz Cheney, um, daughter of Dick That's Cheney. Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney's daughter, right? That's right. Um, and she is a representative and actually a really senior one. Um, she is, uh, she, uh, heads up, she's the chair of the house GOP conference. Um, and recently she has been getting absolutely railed and been called a traitor by other GOP members because she has disagreed with the president on a couple things. One is the whole mask thing. Um, she was saying we should wear masks. And the second thing is like, Oh, we should probably listen to Dr. Fauci. He's been doing this for decades. He's a really smart person. You have him at your disposal. We should probably listen to this guy. Really, we should try to, like, she's been just been saying really common sense things. Um, similar to Mitt Romney, she is being called a traitor. And even the president, you've never seen a president hit down to lower elected officials. He is just railing at his own party's person that it blows my mind. So that's one thing. The next one is uh, AOC. Someone, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez um, from New York um, is someone that I agree with very little, but I really admire her, just the way she goes about things. I admire her intensity and I admire a lot about her. I don't necessarily agree with her ideas in many things, but a Republican representative um, called her a fucking bitch this past week. Really? A fu- yes. He called her a fucking bitch. And Ted Yoho is his name. Like Where's he out of? Uh where is Ted Yoho out of? He is um Oh, Florida. Florida. Okay. That shocker. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> this is not okay. It's not okay for you to disrespect somebody from your party, from the other party, or even just other citizens that are just questioning what a lunatic representative has to say. None of this is okay. Where do we get hope? Well, first of all, the things that you brought up are very problematic. They're also not new. They're not new in the last four years in my life. I've never seen people be so nasty toward one another, and it grows every single day. The fact that people are going off the rails with it is to me a systemic problem that exists in our country right now, which is led by, unfortunately, the leader of the country, mm-hmm. which is, we just said, when you when we go low, when they go low, we go high. No, we, in, under him, when they go low, we go way lower. Yeah, we grab and we the go, shovel. Yeah, we go way meaner. And let's bully and be as mean as humanly possible, which is ironic because his wife, if they're still husband and wife, which I don't even know, um, but Melania's whole, <laughs> her whole, uh, like, mantra is be best. Stop bullying and be best. And I believe her husband has caused this behavior so that people are just vile to one another. 
because if you see the person at the top, it's like, let's go back to second grade. Imagine if in second grade, our teacher was bullying half the kids, just bullying them, saying mean things. Guess what? Then all the kids in the classroom would start bullying each other. Mm -hmm. And I think we're living in a second grade classroom right now where the teacher just has a disregard for humanity. So the hope is, it's very simple actually, is we we desperately need a new leadership. Yeah. Uh cuz it starts from the top. We've I don't every other candidate in my lifetime has not promoted this type of bullying. And so anyone <laughs> would be better to help this go away. So I hope if it's uh, whoever it might be, if it's some secret can I don't care. Just someone who stops this rhetoric because it's a tri- then we'll get out of the second grade classroom. Yeah, it's we're due for a change. I mean, I think, uh, like I said, I I am sometimes a gambling man, and maybe it's my pessimism that feels like we're in in it for another four years. But my God, I hope these things are happening for a reason. And I do hope that they can turn the tides and because like the AOC thing, that was just for me, the final straw, like of just like, I can't believe that this is actually happening in real life. Like I cannot, but, 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 but can you, I'll question this. Can you, when you have Trump doing it every day, calling people racist names every day? I mean, one I just think of is Elizabeth Warren is Pocahontas or the Kung Fu. I mean, there, his, he's been doing this for four years. Everyone has a bully name. What is it? Uh, Adam Schiff was something mean. Sh- like Shifty Schiff, I think, or something Shifty like Shift, and they've all been names. They've all been bullied. It's, so, yeah, it's just that, that decorum, though, has generally been observed at the lower levels, generally. Um, I just, I, I, it, it was, my mind was blown when I saw that. So... Uh, I don't know, man. It, it feels. I think. I think you're right. I think that this just is everything. This is like this is just getting the gears turning towards getting this man out of office, um, and just putting in a better leader. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully that you know the. I don't know. Hopefully that what happened to AOC and what happened was happening to everybody right now in terms of not giving people their dignity and taking away civility. Hopefully that is replaced mm-hmm. soon. Um, and that we're going to bring that up with um, with Lucas Miles, who's a uh, Trump supporter, and how a pastor who's a Trump supporter can go along with these types of morals being done by by his people. I'm very curious his answer. I am too. Okay. And and also, I have one qu- more question for you, Robert. Yeah. Because you brought up something, so I think we should. Uh, whenever, whenever there's something that we disagree with, it's always best to put a wager on it. Yes. Uh, you believe, I think I just heard you say, I also think I've heard you say this a lot of other times. Um, many. That, many. That you believe who is going to win the election? I firmly believe Donald Trump will be reelected in November. And I firmly believe that Joe Biden or if someone else takes his place somehow because none of it's official yet um, that Joe Biden or other will be elected um, elected president. So 
I have an idea. Let's do it. To take a cue out of Larry David's book. Okay. Whoever loses has to wear a MAGA hat. Ooh. <laughs> um. For maybe even 30 minutes to go outside and walk around with a MAGA yeah, hat. I am not going around my neighborhood wearing a MAGA hat. I am. Okay, somewhere. I, or. Or do you have another proposition? Could it just be money? <laughs> I'll present you money in the form of a MAGA hat. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to put money into the economy buying a MAGA hat. And I also don't want to upset my really sweet neighbors. Um. Okay, you know what? We are going to come back to this with what the wager will be. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just can't. And pro- I hope it's a MAGA I hat. Can't, I cannot promote that horrible man on my head. I cannot. Um, okay, we'll come to a wager. Us. Yeah. Um, so speaking of things that are actually full of hope right now, yes. Rohit and I, and we'll put a picture on on our social medias, on ours and on everyone should follow the hope. It's hopeless show on Twitter. Uh, Aaron and Rohit's hopeless show on Facebook. It's the hopeless show on Instagram. If you look and we'll retweet it too, so you can see, go follow our socials because right now we are both wearing our baseball jerseys because it's opening weekend and baseball is actually happening. And so follow all those so we can start building those platforms that we just started up. And not only are we wearing our jerseys, we also have officially purchased Hopefully they will be in the stands tonight, or at least this weekend. Our cutouts of both of us at Dodger Stadium as cutouts. <laughs> it, Aaron, it was the best investment we've ever made. Ever. It was also, besides maybe July 4th, which was, it's nice. We've had the two highlights of the month have been together. Uh, July 4th was, I think, my other highlight of the month. Yeah. Maybe the last three months. Um, and then buying these cutouts and knowing that they're going to be at Dodger Stadium was really freaking exciting. Yeah. And if anybody watches Dodgers games and they see our, they see us, I think, uh, Aaron, you said we're behind home plate, right? On the, uh, we're one, one, three. So there's like the, the field level dugout seats. We're directly above it, behind home plate. One one three, so just to the right, I think, and then there's a some advertisement because they're also filling the seats with ads, and then we're we're the first row behind whatever those ads are there. Okay, so it should be very visible whenever they have like a, you know, medium or wide shot. I'm s- we should be visible. <laughs> I'm um, so excited. We got we got pretty good seats. Uh, so yeah, we, well, can I tell you? So there's there's a negative to this positive. Uh oh. So we are so freaking pumped to have cardboard versions of ourselves in Dodger Stadium this year. I mean, it could be the highlight of the year. And that would include if I had a baby this year, which I'm not going to. <laughs> but this would be better. Um, so that being said, I have a group of I went to New York University, had a group of friends there. Still have them, fortunately and unfortunately. I'm going to name their first names only. 
Dan, Dan, Todd, Zwill, and Mark. We're all on a chain, you know, talk shit to each other, etc. So they came up with the idea that Aaron, me, and I despise the Mets, that I am going to be at City Field all summer in a Mets shirt. <laughs> and so I will be on both coasts all year in the stands for my favorite team and in the stands for one of my least favorite teams. And there's nothing I could do about it. That is amazing. That is a, <laughs> a level, like a top tier prank. That is that is great. Yeah, they're, they're Mets fans. I hate on the Mets all the time. And I'm going to be there in a Mets shirt. They've done it all up. And it just sucks. <laughs> well, you know, because good for your friends for their ingenuity. I'm there. And that's a I just can't. Are, are you going to get that cut out as well? Or are they going to? They're, they're going to probably do something worse than send it to me because they know I would just probably burn it. Uh, what they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. My guess, like, I don't know. They're probably going to put it in different places in the city. I don't know. Like, it's going to be bad. It's not going to get better for me. Well, if any of you listeners out there um, are interested, um, I can send you photos of Aaron Wolf that you can then place in your home team stadium. Um, <laughs> and you can easily Photoshop it. So uh, just let me know. You can just Google yeah. too, unfortunately. <laughs> If you Google, you'll find pictures, and then you put that shirt on, and then I'm screwed. So, but you, but you can't really do much worse than the Mets. So, speaking of the Mets, we wanted people really responded well with the the mailer game, the Biden and Trump mailers that came out. So I wanted to up it a little okay. bit, okay? Because I'm also on their I'm on their email list too. So first of all, I just want you to know this is pretty exciting. I am in the Hall of Fame. Uh, do you know what Hall I'm of Fame guess I might that's be? a Donald in? Trump fan Hall of Fame. Dude, I am in the Donald Trump wow. Hall of Fame. Congratulations, Aaron. <laughs> can can I tell you please why? Aaron, I have something to tell you. When you f- make your first donate contribution of any amount, you'll instantly join the ranks in the Trump Donor Hall of Fame. This prestigious group will be remembered forever as the patriots who won us the 2020 election. And I'm offering you a spot. You will be our next patriot for the next hour. And then there is, <laughs> there is a picture that says Trump Donor Hall of Fame with Trump and behind it are a bunch of plaques. (laughs) You know what? This is as like humbling and honoring of, uh, you know, as a big honor. Remember, um, I think we, you and I both had the honor of when we graduated high school, we both made it into the who's who. And all we had to do was send in like $80 and we could be added to the who's who of high school students list. Um, I mean, it was, that was probably my greatest achievement to this day. And now you have gone one step above that. I'm really proud of you, man. Thanks. I, I feel honored. It's a privilege to make it to the hall. I'll give a longer speech later for now. I just want to say, I want, I want to mainly thank uh, white people (laughs) for making this happen. (laughs) And big, (laughs) 
Thank you to mayonnaise. all the white people for making it. Yeah, for making this possible. Without you, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have made it. Um, so speaking of that, there's another interesting thing that happened. Um, so guess who wrote this? You've been such a loyal supporter that I signed a photo for you with a personal note, friend. I think that's Trump again. You are correct. That is Trump again. And then since I didn't respond, they said, did you see the pro- the photo that President Trump signed for you, friend? I'm, I'm, his, I'm a personal friend. He even included a personal message for you. Are you ready? So I was like, whoa, I haven't even given. And he's written a personal message for me and I'm his friend. This is just not what I was expecting. So are you ready for, then I click on it. So what is the message? Can you guess? Because it's personal. I want you to join my team and donate money. <laughs> You're, you know what? It's, it's far <laughs> less personal than that. It's a picture that says, dear blank. <laughs> Thank you for your support. Together, we will make America great again. Donald Trump with his like really long, it looks like some form of Shakespearean text signature. And it's a picture of him. Dear blank. <laughs> so when I think per- it's like. Wrote it for your birthday. If I just wrote, dear blank, happy birthday. Love, Aaron. You know what? I think, though, I think maybe he's just, you know, because he know he wrote that to you personally. I think he's just trying to sort of play hard to get. Um, I think the next course of action is that you need to just reply to the email with a dick pic. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's yeah. that. <laughs> Dear, and then it's my dick. <laughs> and it's Maha. Make America um, hard again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of making America hard again, uh, and we will we will keep this uh, this this mailer game up because it's fun. Um, it's topic two, and then we're mm-hmm. gonna dive in with Lucas. So this this topic unfortunately upset me and it's a a lot to do with the free speech again. So, but first let's play a game with it because I I like games. Operation Mm -hmm. legend. Tell me, describe that as because it's something to do with what's happening in our country, but decide, tell me what, what that describe that as a movie. Not knowing at all what it is, but it sounds like a movie title. I, I, oh, oh, actually, I'll start. I'll, I'll, I'll guide it. Uh, Operation Legend is the sequel we've all been waiting for to I Am Legend. This time, Will Smith has lots of legends, and they all are out to do crazy shit. I, I, I like that. Or how about in a world where people are just walking around the streets, holding up signs, anyone at any time. <laughs> can get a free ride in a van and complimentary beatings and then being thrown out onto the street as if nothing ever happened. Introducing. Starring Bruce Willis and Demi Moore like you've never seen them before. Coming this summer to every liberal city around you. 
Operation Legend. <laughs> Boom. That's the movie. <laughs> or it's just a movie about a cat named Legend. Meow. <laughs> so, so what what happened there and is now happening in other happening happening in other liberal uh cities, cities that have a mayor that's liberal or Democrat or or has just gone against Donald Trump is they're deploying just like they've been doing in Portland they're deploying more of these un unmarked uh, federal vans into these cities and arresting people and causing unwarranted chaos next is Chicago and Albuquerque I'm guessing Los Angeles Oakland they're, they're going to come to California and to me, that's the start of of a civil war. That really, that's like what, how countries like Venezuela operate, how places that don't have a democracy operate. This is not democrat. This is not a de- de- democratic, and it went so crazy that last night the mayor of Portland, who has said, "Get out of our city," the governor of Portland said, "Get out of our state." The senators in Portland said, "Get out of our state. Everything is." fine and they tear gassed the mayor as he i think after he gave his speech so give me hope i think that we are like one sort of power move away from citywide like real riots if people thought that the, the demonstrations and some of the looting was was bad during BLM. I think when you finally, when you start to see this next level, I think you're right. I don't know if it's a civil war, but maybe it kind of is. But I do think at times people do need to take action. So if right now you have this federal intervention from states and cities that do not want it, that from people that are peacefully demonstrating, and yes, in some cases there is still destruction, but that can be handled at a local level. Nobody is calling in for federal reinforcements. But if you are having a president use the federal resources for that and it does turn into some violence, I think that only helps the opposition, right? It only helps Trump's opponents because at this point he is then taking action against American citizens and they're witnessing the the bloodshed that he's starting and and i think i don't know maybe maybe a little bit of civil war is good maybe it is so what about to to one up that what about all the media outlets that are going to spin this as trump is taking action to protect suburban whites in these areas and that's what that's the point of it. I mean, to me, it's blatantly obvious what they're doing. It's like a lot. It's an effort to show that they're they're calming the chaos because you have the army men beating up the protesters. So then it looks like they can make it look like they're being vi- the protesters are being violent. Something to that effect. I think so. They can spin it in a different way. You're probably only going to have one major cable news outlet that addresses it that way. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I feel pretty confident that enough citizen journalism, enough video recordings are going to be captured. And when people start to see 
like the people that did that do not care about Black Lives Matter when they start to see white people get attacked by yeah. police, maybe that'll be something that opens their eyes because all of a sudden, oh, they look just like me, so now it matters. You know, that right. might be what you need to get people to pay attention. Um so. Which is a sad state of affairs, but I, I hope you're right. So I'll hope gong it just because I hope you're right. Because if you're wrong, we're really screwed. So, yep. <laughs> so speaking of hope bong, hope gong, uh, now it is time for uh, Lucas Miles. And he's going to have very different thoughts than, than we had. And we're going to welcome this dialogue because it's the only way for us to expand our horizons and learn and see what we can get out of it. So... With that, let's uh, let's hear what uh, Lucas Miles has to say. What's so cool about about what we're doing here is we're reaching out to all sorts of voices. We want to hear. I want to hear every type of voice, every type of leader, every type of personality. We might not agree on everything. We might agree on some things. It's it's not about that. It's about hearing and being open minded to all voices. And for you, you know, just to give people a background of who you are, you're a writer, speaker, consultant, film producer. You're the president of Influence Network. Yes. And yep. uh, you recently just opened Miles Media at the PBS location in South Bend, Indiana. Now, uh, now you're coming this way. But un- but we have to be distanced. Obviously, we can't be yes. in the same room like we did when we did this show together a couple years ago. And that's pretty obvious why there's uh, a pandemic going on. And so I'm I, I want to I have to ask you before we dive in further. How's it been the last? I guess it's about four months now. The last yeah. four months for you as a as a community leader, as a faith leader, and just as a, a person going through the the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's I'm always careful how I answer this question because I think that, you know, I've heard a lot of people go, oh, it's just been awesome. We've had so much downtime, been able to spend time together as a family. And, and you know, I want to be really sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that it's been really you know, just hell for, I mean, it's been, it's been very difficult, either them experiencing, you know, sickness in their family uh, with, with the, you know, do the virus or, you know, other, you know, secondary issues that they have or primary issues that they have, you know, for us personally, um, you know, I was at the pastor, that pastor hat that I wear, I continued live streaming uh, through the entire thing. So we were uh, Indiana, um, which is where our church is at. So I'm based in Indiana. I typically would spend about a week, a month in LA uh, but that's obviously not happened this year since March uh, was the last time I was out there, um, uh, you know, this year in 2020. So, you know, I've been kind of grounded here at home. Um, I've really been trying to use that time for uh, as much as I can. Initially, it was personal development. And, you know, I didn't want to go through whether it was one month or three months being at home and just realize that I watched a bunch of Netflix on the other side of it. And, and so now don't get me wrong, I watched a bunch of Netflix, but um, I really tried to focus on, on reading, you know, working on my health, uh, um, you know, exercising as I could, uh, which is sometimes a chore for me, uh, but I've done a lot of studying. I was finishing up a new book, which I can't talk about a ton yet, but we'll have to do that again. But I just submitted that, it'll come out next year. And uh, so I was able to finish a book during the process that, you know, prob- I don't know if I would have made it on time 
had it not been for the downtime that I had uh, uh, as a result of, of the pandemic. Um, you know, but it's, it's certainly been challenging as well as a business owner, as a, as a pastor at church. You know, we've, we've seen, we've definitely seen a hit, you know, on the financial side of things. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we're starting to see the economy move a little bit more here in Indiana and business is starting to pick back up and people are starting to come out, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're open now at this point. So you and I are in kind of different situations based on where you're at in the country right now. So uh, we are open here, church is meeting, you know, we're having services on Sundays and, um, you know, just been really thankful for, uh, you know, just the health of people around me and, and, uh, uh, you know, I guess it, it's it's my first pandemic to go through, and you know, so far, so far, about as good as you expect a pandemic to be. What's interesting, we've had, I think, different upbringings, different lives, and different pandemics, but we're here talking to each other, which is the yes, which is important to me, and I know to you. And I'm I'm curious before yeah. we move on in in your life and in um, everything going on now, right now, the last. I'll tell you this: for the last three, four years have been hard for me, yeah. as a as a Jewish man, because I've seen a lot of rhetoric, a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of uh, a lot of anti-Jew that I've never seen in my life before. I've, mm-hmm. I've I've had it happen in spurts, but not like this, and not around the world, and not personally to me in this fashion. Yeah, and. It hurts. It hurts. It's uh, it just it's something that my grandfather came from Nazi Germany to escape and to bring people together in this country for. He was a forward thinker in that. He was friends with people of all faiths and all colors and all creeds. So that's what I grew up with. I grew up, I grew up in their house was like the UN, and yeah. so um, my I, a question to you is, what do you think? has has led us to the place that you are talking about right now mm-hmm. and and how do you think we can emerge from it yeah you know i i'm a big believer in what we focus our attention on becomes our reality and and so you know if i'm working with somebody to say that is trying to quit smoking um by them going around all the time and going i need to quit smoking i need to quit smoking i need to quit smoking probably all that's going to happen is they're going to want a cigarette. And, and so, you know, what we focus on, we could, and we could, you know, illustrate that in a lot of different ways, but I think that, um, you know, look, there are, there are areas of society. There are areas where we certainly have problems and we've seen those surface. Um, I am, I'm wary of blanket statements that are universal you know, um, that, that try to put everybody in a collective that, you know, all whites are this, all blacks are this, all Jews are this. And I think that that becomes extremely damaging and, and divisive because it doesn't create a way to have conversation. And so part of my probably political philosophy, as well as my economic philosophy, and, and, and to a large extent, my spiritual philosophy is I believe in the power of the individual and the personal responsibility that each of us have, apart from race, apart from color, that I'm a person and I have a responsibility as a person and that I need to not either hide behind the collective of what everybody else is doing, nor villainize everybody else 
you know, um, that, that, you know, doesn't look like me or doesn't think like me. And, you know, I have a lot of, uh, you know, let me just say as a Christian, um, cause I can imagine that you have felt and, and, you know, by what you're, you know, referring to in anti-Semitism is, you know, it's, it's probably something that you have felt from both the left and the right at times. And, and you see that, you know, on both sides, is that fair? Yeah. I've felt it actually very recently um from the there's been a strange uptick in african americans against jews a couple public ones and it's been very upsetting yeah uh i don't know why we stand with the black lives matter movement we want everyone to be treated equally um so i don't know where that's coming from i don't yeah. know why that's happening now it's like we're not, we're just, we're here to help. And, yeah. and then on the right, um, from some of the leaders, I've seen a trickle down effect. that seems like it's brought an awakening of sorts with some of the extremes on the right. So yeah. I guess you could call it a few extremes on the left that I've seen recently. Uh, and then definitely the last three or four years extremes on the, on the right, it's this, this white supremacist thing that I don't equate with a religion. It's a, it's its own extremism. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is very upsetting to yeah. say the least. You know, look, there's, I mean, I'll be the first to say that there are problems on both the left and the right for, for me, I've, I've, I've been involved in a lot of conversations regarding uh, black lives matters. And so I've done, I've probably done four or five, large zoom calls with, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think one time we had seven, another time 10, you know, it's kind of our average and, and, you know, and then some one-on-one -on -one, uh, podcasts on the subject. And so I, I've tried to be very involved in that from day one. And, um, you know, it's, it's a passion of mine to see unity. I love the expression, especially within the church of the diversity of the kingdom of God. The Bible clearly tells us that there's going to be people of all nations, every color, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and um, the I've seen some of what you're talking about within that within that conversation that definitely has felt this anti-Semitic sort of undertone. I would distinguish for me the difference between Black Lives Matters as a movement and Black Lives Matters as an organization. And I think that you know there are things within the movement of Black Lives Matters that I can get behind. There are few things in the organization of Black Lives Matters that I can get behind. And I think that's where you're seeing the difference happen there is there are people that are fighting for equality. And then there's people that are using equality in order to promote Marxism. And I think that that is where a lot of the hate and division is happening. And, and so that makes me nervous. And so I, I say that, you know, realizing that there's going to be pushback from certain people that don't agree with me. But I think there's a major difference between the two. So, and I appreciate your honesty because I, this is called the together show for a reason. It's that we're together despite, in spite of what yeah. differences we might have. Um, so I'll, let me jump in because there were a few things co covered there. There's one uh, Bible quote that I'm going to miss. I'm not going to say it correctly, but fine. I want to try. I wrote it down. Um, th there's a, passage it's in luke 15 
I'm okay. sure you'll be able to say it better than me immediately, is there are 100 sheep, but one goes missing. Jesus leaves 99 and goes after the one. The 99, but what about us? Don't we matter? Of course the 99 still matter, but they're not the ones in danger. The one is. And I'll say it. And so that that's the movement, I be, in my mind, that's a, a great passage or summary of a passage from the uh, New Testament yep. of what the Black Lives Matter movement is all about. Yeah. I'm curious what you think of that. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. And I think that, you know, um, I, I've also seen people use, uh, you know, I was on a call and I'll come back to, you know, kind of views on that passage specifically, but I've seen people also use the passage of the Good Samaritan, you know, and, and kind of using that as also a metaphor of this. And then I've seen people use uh, the other passage I've probably heard the most is Jesus overturning the temple uh, and throwing the tables over in the temple and driving people out. And I've had people justify, you know, looting. I actually had a, uh, a black pastor in Columbus, uh, Ohio, I believe is where he's at, uh, was on a Zoom call with me and it was a group of white and black pastors. I was the probably the only, uh, um, I, I found myself in the minority viewpoint on these particular topics. So it was a, it was a fun it was a fun night in a lot of ways, but um, the he went as far as to call for the destruction of the Sistine Chapel because God's finger is white and that promotes white supremacy. And so I think what we're seeing within uh, some of the Black Lives Matters movement, um, and and you know I, I'm more supportive of the movement than I am the organization. I don't have I I and I'll you know honestly I don't support the organization at all. Uh, I think it's actually harming the black community um, way more than it's than it's helped. And but the I understand what's behind the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think that the Black Lives Matter movement is a logical conclusion based upon a false initial premise. And I think that there is a there is a different um, there is a different uh, uh, concept that would be much more conducive to a uh, the end result that I believe all of us want, which is equality, which is unity. Um, and and uh, that is, that is uh, I don't think we're going to get there based upon the equation that exists right now in the narrative. The Black Lives Matter movement. So look, I'm not black. You're not black. Yeah. We don't know. Neither of us can pretend to know what it's like to have been black the last four years, the last four months, or the last 400 years. It's impossible. We can't do it. I have many black friends um, and I use them as my sounding board because I'm, I want to understand. Uh, I grew up, my grandparents, my parents had black friends, use them as a sounding board. What is it like? What has it been like? Yeah. Um, that's where the movement to me is very powerful. And I, I believe we've, we've come to a meeting of many different it's like this crossroads right now that we're at. Yeah. Uh, as what I stated to you about what I felt with anti-Semitism in my life that I had never felt before. Yeah. Um, where the African-American community has been, how do I say it, marginalized, from enslaved to marginalized to killed recently for no reason. Um, yeah. To... Now there's 
uh, I believe, some a lot of racism directed at Asian Americans. Last week on the, the show, we had a Asian American actor, a big actor in in Asia who came on and said how much it hurts as an Asian American for what's happening now. Uh, and I guess a common denominator that I've seen, and this isn't about the, as you said, the, the, the politics are blending with the humanity of it. Yeah. So politics aside, the everything from the Black Lives Matter movement and it not being acknowledged to the everything what happened in Charlottesville and what's happened in other uh, locations toward Jews and that not being just completely outright denounced to yeah. the pandemic being called the Kung Flu. Uh, and I quote it to, uh, yeah. everyone is, a, a something about everyone being a thugs. And if they shoot, if they loot, then you shoot. So this type of rhetoric, you know, in my life in the, let's see, Clinton, Bush, Bush, and, uh, Obama. Yep. I've just never seen, I've always seen a president come from either party and yep. unite us. And yeah. bring us together. I've never seen this rhetoric before. And so when you say, like, where is it coming from? There's extremes on both sides. My worry, my concern, and again, I want to hear what you think of this, is that it's coming this time from the top. And yeah. forget the politics. I'm talking about the rhetoric, the morals. The and you brought up the word moral a lot, which I appreciate because that's a word that I live by or try mm -hmm. to live by. I fail yeah. a lot, um, <laughs> but let's uh, do it perfectly. Yeah, exactly. So I I, I want to know what you think of that because it's definitely something that is new to me. Yeah, and it upsets me. Yeah, no, I I, I understand that. And I I you know uh, first and foremost, I don't stand beside or behind. Um, all of the language or the rhetoric that has been used, you know, to uh, describe this last year by any means. Um, uh, you know, my approach to this is much more from a, you know, probably spiritual and philosophical standpoint than a political standpoint. I do have, you know, I do have political views. I do, I do think that those things play into it, but I think that philosophy and, and our faith affects our politics uh, more than our politics can ever affect our faith. And, and so, you know, when I, when I look at kind of what's going on today, um, it's, it's really important, I think, that we take enough time to step back and realize that, you know, it's like, it's like going fishing and just having that big knot at the end of the, your spool where all the line kind of gets all tangled together. And we're just looking at that. And you can tug on that whole thing, but it's never going to get fixed until you take the time to really unwind the whole string of what's there and and see you know and see what's happening uh now you have other people that would say you just got to cut the whole thing off and start over and that's kind of a different viewpoint you know i'm more of the let's unwind it and figure out why it's knotted you know sort of view um you know today we have i think there's something like 27 million uh that might be an old number uh, uh people that are in some form of of slavery in the world today uh so it, by comparison there was about 11 or 12 million, I believe, slaves in America or within North America uh, during kind of slavery in the United States. 
there's 27 million people today around the world who are in some form of slavery, uh, whether that be uh, in various places within Africa, uh, uh, sex trafficking, all of these things that are at that level. And so, you know, um, we could argue that slavery is a bigger problem today than, than it has been in a really long time. Now it's in different places and it's in different ways. Um, I, have you, have you been to, have you ever been traveled to Germany with your family or anything like that? So I, I've, I've not been everywhere. My wife is a German teacher. She's German history buff. You know, we, we, uh, we spent a lot of time in that, but, and we actually, uh, she lived over there for about three years before we were married, but I spent some time and went through, I've been through, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, Dachau a couple times outside of Munich and man, I mean, you know, here to walk through that. And, you know, this is a place where predominantly Jewish people were sent as a concentration camp, as well as some Christians, um, to, to see the horror of that was beyond, I just didn't have words. And I was, I was you know, in my early 20s when I first went, um, and it just, it wrecked me. And we've taken people back to Germany with us, and I usually don't go back in. I'll take them there and I'll just go, hey, take as much time as you want. I'm going to grab a coffee. I'm just going to stay outside. But, you know, and I see that Arbeit mock free, you know, work sets you free, you know, this, this Nazi, you know, slogan on the outside of that. And, but here's the thing, as, 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 I mean, there's not even words, the, the horror that that is, I am thankful that we can go there and look at it and remember. And it's a constant reminder. And I think the German people have done a, such a great job with this of basically saying never again. And it's almost like they've held that over their heads, almost to the point like the older ones feel like that shame and the weight of it still of what they allowed to take place in their country or that was happening in their country. And, and, and they've taken a position of never again will we allow this to happen. And that's my fear is that, you know, with some of the movements that are taking place, and this isn't to excuse the negative rhetoric that's out there, but I don't think the negative rhetoric is causing this. I think that we have had issues for a long time that have been below the surface. Trump has been a catalyst that has brought everything there is on the left and the right to the top. I mean, he has been a political stick of dynamite that's been thrown in the pond. And we have seen rise on both the left and the right, all the venom and all the hurt and all the anger that's existed on both sides that's been quiet and subdued for a really long time. And now it's all on the surface. Do you worry, because I do, do you worry that, that Trump uses people of faith for his own ego just so that he can continue his own ego because he's maybe you don't believe this to me. He's a life yeah. of, he's a life of, of ego. He's a life of me of I, I, yeah. I statements. You're not, you're a lot. You've been, you've been just talking about the people you've been with, about the people yeah. you help. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't act like that. And he's never acted like that. And I worry that he's using people of faith like yourself just to promote his own ego and his own plat, his own rise. If there is a group of people now who, who I can tell you who didn't, who was skeptical of him, who wasn't sure how they felt about him was the church. There was nothing he had ever done that made, you know, if we looked at like who has a higher propensity to maybe go for his ideas, 
you know, a, a more, you know, you know, stereotypically elite group of people, you know, uh, uh, on the left or these people on the right who are known for rural farmers, you know, flyover states that have nothing to do with Manhattan sky rises and, you know, uh, you know, sort of, you know, billionaire kind of lifestyle. And so if, if you're looking at which group of people, you know, if I'm Trump, which group of people is going to be more apt to agree with me or identify with me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards the left. If I'm just looking at politics as a, basically a marketing strategy of who am I going to fake identify with in order to run? Christians are not easily convinced. In fact, the majority of Christians were very opposed to Trump from the beginning. They were, they were hesitant of him. Uh, they wanted to see is the proof in the pudding. How's he going to respond when he's in office? Uh, what's he going to do? Um, you know, and so they were looking for things like standing up for the persecuted church, which I don't know any president, including uh, both Bushes, who have done anything close to the persecuted church around the world, which includes a lot of the 27 million people in slavery, uh, as what Trump has done. Um, you know, he's spoken out of that Re repealing of the Johnson Amendment. That was something that the church got on board for. Uh, you know, when we look at kind of the bigger, you know, scope here, I've, you know, some I've, I was asked, uh, you know, here recently, do you believe in systemic racism? Okay, that's the, the big, you know, the big question on the table right now. And there's obviously a divide. My old answer used to be no. My new answer is I do. But I believe that systemic racism is not something that is systemic through society as a whole. I believe it's systemic within certain communities that are have used um, minorities uh, to be, whether it be the scapegoat, to get votes, you know, uh, and, and we see that by a lot of the places that have had the issues that they've had, whether it be Minneapolis, uh, uh, Baltimore, San Francisco, all of these are, you know, um, and this is where, you know, conversation, you know, goes political, but I'm glad that we can be here and and maybe see things differently and still like each other at the end of the day, which is one thing I love about you. Um, you know, I, from my vantage point, the majority of these cities, you know, I'm 90 miles from Chicago. You know, the, I know where I can go and can't go in Chicago, you know, because of how dangerous it is. You know, we had uh, my city alone, you know, I'm right on the line between kind of the east and west side of the city. And, you know, west of me there a couple weekends ago, there were 300 shots fired in a town of 130,000 people. And you know, this, this city has been democratic for 40 years. If any democratic city, whether it be you know, now or 30 years ago, who wanted to abolish chokeholds could have. Uh, Obama could have abolished chokeholds. Obama could have dealt with some of the issues. You know, Chicago could deal with its violence. Um, but I see that systemic racism has existed among what I would call white democratic elites for a long period of time. And, and I believe that that has been a, they basically have, it's, you know, I've, I've gone as far as to call it, I believe a new form of slavery where they have enslaved um, some within the black community to think like what Joe Biden said, that if you don't vote this way, then you're not black. And so they've, they've, they've uh, put, their black identity, they've tried to force black identity to be in synonymous with being a leftist. And I think it's done a lot of damage. And, you know, um, 
I really believe that the solution for all of this is not going to come from politics. I don't think it's going to come from Trump. I don't think it's going to come from, you know, a presidency. I think the solution for this is going to come from, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian values being restored in this country. And, and so I want to see the synagogues and I want to see the churches really rise up and begin to speak out, you know, beyond politics and help people return to a, a general, you know, um, reverence for God and return to the values that I believe that this nation was founded on. A bunch of things that, that you just touched on, I, ju- I don't agree with. Um, like only Trump has stood for the, for the persecuted church. Okay, what about everyone else? This is the United States. That's, that's one group. I'm Jewish. I'm not have, wanting him to, or a president to stand just for Jews. That doesn't make sense. That's not where we live. And the, the idea that systemic racism is caused by liberal elites honestly sounds like some, some crazy conspiracy video on YouTube. I mean, it's, this is running rampant. It's run rampant for hundreds of years. So to say that it's liberal elites on some island and uh, then alluding to the democratic cities being the places of violence. I live in Los Angeles. I was a part of the protests. And I did not, 99% of the time, see any violence. I saw people standing for something, which I believe as religious leader, as a community leader, you should be for. That should be what you should be standing for. Well, this is the Together Show. So it's about bringing people of all types together and us having a conversation, having dialogue and being together and trying to find common ground. So I appreciate what you're saying. I look forward to what you're going to keep sharing. And this is also not at all what I feel. And it was really interesting to hear from Lucas. And I think it, it does take some courage to go into what might be perceived as a lion's den. And I think you guys had a great conversation. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to listen to the entire one, that's going to be made available also. Um, yes. But thank you, Lucas. Um, Th- yes. Thank you for for joining us. And um, we have much more to discuss. We might even put a little more on the next episode just because we only scratched the surface of what of what can be talked about. So with with that, um, we just have a, a couple more uh, things because we uh, to wrap up uh, our one of our favorite segments is hopeless TV. And I think we need after some of that tension, we need to release it with with just hopelessness on the television. Um, so just a, cu- a couple things. Uh <laughs> I felt hopeless because I was watching the Dodgers uh, game against the Angels before the season started. And the advertisements are so depressing. So, like, I'm used to, you know, during baseball games, it's about, like, beer and chips and having fun and going to lakes and partying. and It's just, like, fun things. And, like commercials for movies, you know, like the basic stuff. Yeah. This, it was a lot of ads for life insurance. One ad that was called like 
It was called the police mask. And it's a four-pronged mask with like four tiers on it that you can buy. And they call it the police mask, which I think is like double weird. Really just didn't quite get the message of what's going on right now. Um, So there was a bunch of ads for that. And then there was a bunch of these sappy commercials about families coming together right now. And like, and I was just like, my, I have to turn off the TV for these commercials. They're just, they're really poorly made. And the, it's just depressing. It's like I'm enjoying escapism, a ball game. And I'm seeing an ad to buy a police mask. It really makes you miss like all the Chevy Silverado pickup truck sales oh. event commercials that will be on loop, right? And you, you thought <laughs> you uh, had too much of those. Yeah, it's I want Longo of Toyota. I want Longo of Toyota back. Um, I want Farmer John. I want to know which hot dog to buy. Yeah. Or, uh, oh, 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 O'Reilly's. You know, like, oh, yeah. like you want the garbage ads back because right now nobody wants to see these depressing, boring ads. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. At least they're not saying we're all in this together anymore. No, we're definitely not. Yeah. So... So speaking of the another hopeless TV moment that I had is I won't name the person, but someone uh, had Real Housewives of New York on TV last night. I cannot stand these shows and I didn't like them before. Given the times, it made me just repulsed by society because it's so out of touch with everything. One of the big things was someone named Sonia Morgan had a $75,000 facelift. So that was a big deal that she had a $75,000 facelift. I'm just thinking of all the people who are out of jobs and this is what's on TV. And then can I just read you and maybe you can have one thing before we jump into Hope in 60 Seconds. Yep. Um, I just want to read to you what the basic idea of this episode was because I, for whatever reason, watched it. Sure. After a rosé-fueled night, the ladies wake up to find that Luann has left Bluestone Manor. Oh, gosh darn. The woman, the women head to town for some much-needed, after all their suffering, all their tumultuous suffering in their godforsaken Hampton's lives, retail therapy and group healing, because Luann has left. To celebrate their... Last night in the Berkshires, Dorinda throws an elegant dinner party and the mayhem continues. I wanted to punch, and it's not cool to punch women, so it wasn't about that. I wanted to punch every one of their attitudes. (laughs) It is literally, all these Real Housewives shows are just Karens, like, that are being paid to be Karens and do nothing at least, you know what? I, I will always say, I always like make fun of Kim Kardashian, but at least she's doing good things with her power, you know, and what, what she, and with her influence, like whether it's trying to get jail sentences commuted for people for nonviolent drug offenses or even standing up for her bipolar husband after he said some messed up shit about her. Like that is someone that, that that's doing ride or die stuff. What these reality stars are doing is horrible, 
insane and it's just i i just can't wait for the the hybrid of when you take these karens and then somehow i wish there was a spinoff of the show based in real life where people are just recording them being karens in real life on instagram and you have the real real housewives of new york and it's just all their worst moments captured by people not cameras not edited and it just hopefully brings them all down because they do not deserve to be famous this is garbage they're they're not even famous for being doing anything themselves they're famous for being married to people yep. They're not like they have no qualifications of anything in life and yeah, and good for them. They're 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 they found a way to make money off of it. But we also uh, did freedom of speech. We can tell them that they are horseshit humans and they suck. Um, and you came up with the 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 thing that I think we're going to do and we're going to start this show. We might have to do it incognito so they don't know what the name is at first. But we're going to start a show called The Real Housewives of Karen's. Great. I love it. And that's going to be a great show. And we're going to get Karens. They're going to be in houses and they're going to do Karen things. And it's going to be awesome. So get ready for that. And with that in mind, it is time for our final segment. So anyway, let's start the timer, Aaron. The first topic is Kanye is not okay. Um, you know, we all saw him give a rally speech um, this past weekend. He broke down in, in tears, said that Rosa Parks did not help free slaves, um, and was just, he had a bipolar episode. He was talking about how uh, even Kim and Chris, by putting out a statement that that's white supremacy that they did without his, his approval. Kanye has lost it. People still think that he was telling the truth and like he's a truth teller and maybe part of it was true honesty. But I am concerned that this artist will never recover from this current campaign run. Is he over? I I do not think Kanye is over at all. I think his presidential run is over. I do not think that he is going to garner many votes, less than maybe a percent of, or if any. And I think all artists like him have breakdowns, many, and they come back. And I think he will come back as the artist, not the presidential candidate. You know, you're right. And um, I guess Britney did it, right? Britney did it. So I mean, so many artists have, have had, I mean, go down the list. They've had overdoses. They've had, you name it. And then they, Elton John. I mean, like the biggest names in uh, the Beatles, they all broke up, but then they ended up making their own stuff and kind of coming back together and play. Like everyone has had okay. their, so let's, let's stick to that. I think he's going to come back. So here, I'll, I'll like- do one. Ready? Yep. Uh, Leah Remini, uh, actress, was in King of Queens and other things. Former Scientologist had like a breakaway from Scientology. And uh, she now wants to expose all that is bad, all that Tom Cruise has done that is weird or bad or something. And I just don't want to hear it. I like... Tom Cruise, the artist for his movies. I love a lot of his movies. I don't care about his personal life. I really don't care about most actors' personal lives. I just want the art and I don't need her to expose him. So we lose more fun Tom Cruise movies. Yeah, I don't want Tom Cruise to get canceled either. He's kind of a a national institution. But the hope I can get out of here is that um, the Scientology Scientology community, um, they're kind of like the Illuminati. Um, so she'll probably be too, nobody's actually been able to truly document what the heck happens besides a couple of rare documentaries. So I think Tom Cruise is safe because, uh, Leah's not talking. 
And I will say this as we uh, and Rohit, I'll do the conclusion after both our calls. I'll end it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, so we'll do the other hope in sixties later. So I with Tom Cruise, I agree, and let's hope that happens. And with that, I also will share with you next week my experience going for two hours to Scientology. I cannot wait because I have a Scientology story for you too also. So we'll save that for next week. And we should probably transition to our user submission from Andrew in New York. Yes. Our user submission is, and I'll throw it to you, Rowett, how will I get unaddicted to TV and couch? Is what he wrote, meaning how will he get unaddicted to this current lifestyle when it goes back to normal? Here, I have an answer for you, Andrew, and it's very easy to get addicted to TV Couch, especially because we're not leaving the house. Here's what you do. You make a list. For every one episode you watch of something or every one movie, you have a list of stuff you want to accomplish, whether that's like start a website or whatever new hobby, build that new Lego or, or work out for an hour. You have to just, every time you watch something, you you... Every time you do something, you earn an episode and you don't have to do them all together, but you can just, you can earn all your TV. So therefore you don't have to feel bad. You're getting stuff done. It's just, it's just a credit system. Um, and that way, <laughs> you know, it's like you're not addicted because you're the more TV you watch means the more good stuff you're doing for yourself and your creativity and your health and all this stuff. There you go. Boom. We have provided hope for the masses today. Join our socials. I'm the Aaron Wolf on social media. It's the Hopeless Show or Hopeless Show or Aaron and Rowett's Hopeless Show on all socials. We're going to be doing more fun stuff there. He's Vohit for Rowett with the number four. Thank you for tuning in. We hope we've provided some fun and hope today. Number 18. You want to sign us off? Write to us. Like us. uh, uh, Give us positive reviews. But most importantly, stay hopeful. Um, and we're going to get you guys through every week. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to you next week. When the world seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore, here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless show with Aaron and Rohit Woe. It's a hopeless show with Aaron and Rohit Woe.